Good morning. Thank you, David, for uh, singing a new song for many. That was, uh, that was precious. Thinking about the children and um, their shouting hosannas to Jesus the King. We, um, we saw last week, if, um, if you were following in Matthew 21, we saw the entrance of um, Jesus, his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it was a um, fulfillment of the scripture. They actually quote in Matthew 21, verse 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And um, Jesus uh, was um, pleased to portray himself as the king who serves, the king who serves. Our service to others is situational. It takes us effort to think about other people and their needs. When caught off guard, we're often uh, thinking about ourselves and uh, how to, to seek our own good. But um, the Lord Jesus, amazing uh, Savior and King, was continually thinking of others and taking the lower place to serve. We see this best portrayed most intensely at the cross of Calvary. Um, what, uh, what background will help us understand our, our lesson this morning in Matthew 21? Well, Matthew 21 represents the last week of the Lord's earthly ministry. Okay, so everything that we study uh, from now on is uh, in view of the cross, uh, the cross of Calvary or after the cross. Let's, let's step through the week briefly. Sunday was uh, the Lord Jesus' triumphal entry. So that was last week. That was Sunday. Today is Monday, and the Lord Jesus will um, cleanse the temple. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is his arrest and the beginning of his mock trial. Friday is, uh, is his crucifixion. And so this is the week. They call it the Passion Week, uh, the week of the Lord's crucifixion, and by the way, also the week of the Passover. In John 11, we read, And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will come, that he will not come to the feast? And so these... Um, the multitude that welcomed the Lord Jesus were uh, likely pilgrims who had come uh, early to the Passover to purify themselves. The residents of Jerusalem were hostile to the Lord. He would um, lament in a coming day, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. What then was attractive about Jerusalem and the temple of God to the Lord Jesus? 
God had commanded the Jews to observe the Passover way back in Exodus 12, and so his, uh, his devout followers were there in Jerusalem to observe and celebrate the Passover. Interestingly, in Matthew 5, in his um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus referred to Jerusalem as the city of the great king. So it held a special significance there. Jerusalem was the center of Israel, and the temple was the center of Jerusalem and the, uh, the worship of the Jews. In spite of its desecration by the uh, religious leaders, the temple was still symbolically the dwelling place of God. And uh, we can uh, read about that in Psalm 11.4 and Habakkuk uh, 2.20, the, the temple as God's dwelling place. Also, God's um, temple was his meeting place with the Jewish people. In Psalm 80, verse 1, we read, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim in the, uh, in the Holy of Holies, uh, inside the, the temple proper was the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. And um, that Ark included the cherubim whose wings spread over the mercy seat. And God said, uh, I will meet with you there at the mercy seat. The temple, uh, additionally we read in uh, Deuteronomy 14, the temple was the place where God placed his name. Okay, it was his chosen place uh, where he put his name. What was the purpose of the temple? We'll see today that uh, the temple was a, a house of prayer for all nations. It was a healing center. It was a place where uh, the Lord Jesus opened the word of God, the, the, um, the prophecies, and, and explained them. And then it was a place of worship, of course, the temple. Really, God intended his temple as a preview of heaven's activities. Um, and then, uh, significantly, uh, Jesus, or the, uh, the Holy Spirit in his word, makes reference four times in this short passage, four times to the temple. We'll see as we read. Uh, what did the temple look like? It was imposing. It was impressive. Herod the Great undertook the rebuilding of the temple that Zerubbabel had constructed 500 years before. If we knew Herod, he was a vain uh, person, fond of display, and so uh, a modest temple would not do. He, um, he, he rebuilt the, the temple and arranged the courts in a terrace form. And so uh, uh, the terraces were stacked and the temple was, was the highest point of these terraces visible to all, uh, any place in the city. You could see the temple. So it was quite impressive. Our narrative today takes place in the outermost part of the court. It was called the Gentile court. And uh, even the Gentiles were were free to come and ask questions about the Lord and to, uh, to seek him there. 
We're going to look at four groups of people today, Lord willing. The first is um, merchants who stole from God and his worshipers. Second were the afflicted who found compassion and healing from the Lord. Third group is the children who provided praise that was lacking. And then fourth, the religious leaders who would silence Messiah's praise. And then as the Lord enables, we'll make personal application to, uh, to these groups. Okay, with that, let's read Matthew 21, starting at verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. <clears throat> but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to, to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Let's pray. Lord, we desire to see you in um, your compassion, in your um, your majesty, your dignity as, uh, as a Messiah, and uh, open our hearts, especially those who do not yet know you, Lord. We pray that um, they might have uh, an accurate view of who you are. We ask, Lord Jesus, amen. First, let's look at the, um, uh, the robbers who stole from the Lord and from his worshipers. Uh, Jesus went into the temple of God do we fully appreciate what happened here? It was prophesied in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3, where um, Malachi wrote, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here's, uh, here's a prophecy that uh, Messiah will enter his temple. The irony being, as pointed out by Bill McDonald in his commentary, that the nation didn't delight in the Lord. They weren't ready for him. They weren't looking for him. And when he arrived, uh, they rejected him. But um, the Lord's entry into the temple is a fulfillment of prophecy. The Lord allowed for um, animals to be bought for sacrifice. In, um, in Deuteronomy 14, um, Moses instructed the people, you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God always. 
But if the journey is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Okay, so I have, I have a justification to, uh, to take my, my goat or my, my uh, lamb or my ox. <clears throat> Jerusalem is, uh, is so far away that I'm going to sell my animal. I'll take the, the money. I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll buy a similar animal there and then offer that animal to the Lord for worship. Likewise, uh, we see money changing hands um, here. The Jewish shekel was a temple tax, an annual temple tax that, um, that people brought to Jerusalem. And, uh, and yet, if I were living outside of Jerusalem, my coins may have the, um, the Roman emperor's image on it. And that would be anathema. You don't bring this into the temple, okay? Uh, not the Roman emperor. And so I would, uh, I would take my coins to the money changer and I would say, give me shekels, here are uh, Roman uh, denarii or, or whatever. And so there'd be a change of, uh, of um, denomination there. But the practice had degenerated into a commercial enterprise by greedy men. They were probably charging excessive fees for the um, exchange, and then they were uh, selling animals to these uh, pilgrims at enormous profits. We call it gouging today, where you're taking advantage of people who have no other, uh, no other means of getting what they need. They were, uh, in the language of the Apostle Paul, men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now, um, this is not new. <clears throat> At the beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry, he drove the money changers and the animal sellers out of the temple back in uh, John chapter 2 and uh, uh, verses 12 through 17. In fact, uh, he, then he fashioned a whip and he was, uh, he was driving people out of uh, his father's house. Three years later, they're back and no wiser. They were indifferent, careless, callous, and greedy. At the news of Messiah entering the temple, they may have said, who is the Messiah? They didn't care. They were, um, uh, they were there to make a, a buck. But they would surely find out who Messiah was. We see it as a repeat, the cleansing of the temple, uh, the Lord Jesus driving these, um, these greedy men uh, out of, uh, of the temple and the, the disciples remembering Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house has eaten me up, applying that to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus' 
zeal, his jealousy, was an anger, evoked an anger that was not a uh, carnal response to a personal injury. Okay, it wasn't a, a sporadic uh, outburst of wrath. This, is, this was something that was developing over 30 years of observation, the Lord Jesus seeing what was taking place in, in his father's house. If anything, this cleansing of the temple was a picture of restraint and patience on the part of the Lord Jesus. And the lesson here being, don't stand between Jesus and his Father's honor. In talking about the Lord Jesus, um, an acquaintance told me, um, Jesus is not perfect because he got angry with, uh, with the money changers in the temple. Thinking back on that today, on the contrary, Jesus showed his perfection by being angry with something that was so uh, dreadfully out of place, so wrong. And um, here, were, here were men who were swindling God's devoted worshipers. They're here in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Let's take advantage of them. Let's descend on them. Let's pounce on them and take their money from them. That was the attitude of these, uh, these greedy merchants. And so uh, the Lord shows his perfection through his anger We see examples of this today. Um, years ago, I passed by a building, uh, a church building with a big marquee, big sign out front. St. Luke's Bingo. St. Luke's Bingo. I thought, is that for real? What would the Apostle Luke do if he were walking down the street and he saw St. Luke's bingo. Are you kidding? Maybe he would have driven out the, uh, the people in that building. Said, get out of here. You're, you're swindling my people. My, uh, those I minister to. Those who are devoted to the Lord. I've seen other churches with similar offers. We uh, receive in our chapel mailbox offers from companies um, offering insurance to the saints. Oh, okay. You sell the insurance and you get the profit. You offer it to the saints as something that they need, something good, and we'll, we'll cut you in on the profit. I haven't figured that whole thing out, but it sure, it sure smells bad, okay? Um, Borrowing from a message you gave uh, on a parallel passage in Luke 19, Luke, um, Don, I'm just going to paraphrase, uh, about Christian publishers. There is a terrible danger in merchandising Christian literature. People desire to know the Lord and to know him better, and the publishers compromise truth for profit. Their books target the lowest level of Christian experience for maximum profit, minimum content, and not for the believer's growth or maturity. What would the Lord do in these publishers' offices and warehouses? He might drive them out with a whip. 
Bill McDonald summarizes um, in this way in his commentary, this incident has a twofold message for today. In our church life, we need his cleansing power to drive out bazaars, suppers, and a host of other money-making gimmicks. In our personal lives, there is a constant need for the purging ministry of our Lord in our bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit. But in this act, in uh, driving out the money changers and turning over the, uh, the temple, uh, the tables, we see uh, Jesus conducting a one-man attack on these unscrupulous vendors. Why was there no resistance? Because Messiah was acting in his regal authority. The temple was profaned when men turned it into a marketplace. The temple was reconsecrated when Jesus drove them out and restored uh, the temple to a healing center, a worship hall, and a house of prayer for all nations. The second group that we see in our passage is in verse 14. The lame, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. With the cross of Calvary only four days away, what was on the Savior's heart? When uh, events loom large on my horizon, really my thoughts fixate on those events. Usually it's an event. And uh, I can think, I can act uh, for nothing else but that one, that one huge event. I'm paralyzed to work on anything else. But amid the overturned tables and the scramble for lost coins, uh, our Savior found time to minister to the blind and the lame. With all the demands of the universe, does Jesus have time for your pain, your afflictions? He does. Absolutely, he does. These, um, these afflicted saw Jesus upend the tables and drive out the, um, those who sold doves, and yet uh, they knew his compassion. They knew his mercy and approachability, and so they came to him. There was no affliction so severe, no problem so grievous that the Lord could not solve them right there, and he did. Did these healed ones return to give him thanks? The record doesn't say. We, uh, we can only hope that, um, that they joined the Lord in, the, in praise, joined the others in praise. There's a lesson to us if we remove the hypocrisy and self-seeking from our personal lives and from the life of our assembly, like the Lord removed the greedy merchants in the temple, then Jesus is free to work his, his wonders, his marvels, his healing. Those are, um, that's a look at the profiteers and at the afflicted people. Let's, uh, let's look then in verse 15 at the, um, at the children. The Lord Jesus had a faithful remnant among the pilgrims who worshipped him. 
the uh, children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Fathers had trained their children right. In Deuteronomy 6, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the fathers had, uh, had done well to, uh, to train their children. They recognized Messiah, and they knew that he deserved praise. One of our um, poets wrote about the children, Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang, through pillared court and temple, the lovely anthem rang. To Jesus, who had blessed them, close, folded to his breast, the children sang their praises, the simplest and the best. Hosanna comes from Psalm 118, where um, the, uh, the psalmist uh, wrote, Save now, in, in Hebrew, uh, Hosanna. And... Um, it became an exclamation of praise. And that was what these youngsters were crying out in the temple. The, uh, the original word there also means shout. The children shouted in the temple. And if you were there, anywhere in that court, you heard the children shouting praise, Hosanna to the son of David. What about uh, son of David? What's the significance of that as a title? Why? Why such controversy? Why do, the, uh, why do the Pharisees get so upset when um, they, they shout, Son of David? Well, later, in fact, the next chapter of Matthew, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The Pharisees tried to stump the Lord Jesus oftentimes. Well, here's the Lord Jesus asking a, asking a question. <clears throat> what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Matthew 22, uh, 42, they said to him, the son of David. We'd, uh, we'd have a profitable study here just uh, going back and reading about the throne of David and how uh, God covenanted, covenanted with David to to have uh, an heir on his throne uh, for, uh, for eternity, and, um, and yet we'll, we'll satis be satisfied with the connection here between the Christ and the son of David. They are equivalent. And the, the Pharisees were the ones who said that, okay? To acknowledge Jesus as the Christ would be to recognize him also as the son of David. This the religious leaders would not do. And so they were, they were infuriated by uh, the Lord Jesus receiving that title from the children. What is it about children's praise that delights the Lord? We tell children about the Lord Jesus, they want to hear more. They want to sing about the Lord Jesus. They want to sing to the Lord Jesus. 
Children's praise is simple. It's unadorned. It's without hypocrisy, without self-occupation, and without expecting something from the Lord in return. Years ago, uh, at one of our old buildings, I was helping with a two-to-five nursery, and uh, uh, the kids were taking a bathroom break. There were, there were like eight or nine uh, kids uh, waiting their turn. And um, I asked um, if anyone in the group would like to lead in a song. Would you like to sing something? Go ahead and lead. Well, there was um, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Uh, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And um, one four-year-old was kind of hesitant. She she was kind of fidgety. And I said, well, do you have a song you'd like to, to sing? And she said, I have a very sad song, very sad. And um, in her wavering little girl voice, she created her own song about the Lord Jesus. And she sang about him dying on the cross and uh, having his uh, hands uh, pierced with nails. It was sweet, it was simple praise. She began to repeat herself, and I'm afraid I, I interrupted and asked, well, how does the song end? And she said, he's raised from the dead. How I wish that I'd let her finish the song on her own, and uh, what a refreshment this must have been to the Lord Jesus to hear from her. Surely in the temple, um, the adults gathered there, praised the Lord, but their singing would have been defective. It would have been incomplete without the voices of the children praising the Lord. The children filled up what was missing. Let's remember this refreshing praise next time we think about a Christmas program. That was the children. Let's, uh, let's think for a moment about the Pharisees. They sought to silence Messiah's praise in, uh, in verse 16. They, they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? They hated the Lord Jesus. He overthrew the tables of their legalistic system, and they drove out those who claimed to have authority through their traditions that they had created. The Lord Jesus drew disciples from, uh, from the uh, Judaistic uh, system, the legalistic system. And the Lord Jesus claimed with uh, inescapable clarity that he is Messiah, and the children's shouts in the temple made this claim unavoidable. The Pharisees had to face it. But the religious leaders would not have him reign over them. Their hatred had hardened into an inescapable fact. What so gratified the Lord Jesus in same measure angered the Pharisees. Do you hear what they're saying? Silence these children as we commanded you yesterday to rebuke your disciples, the Pharisees seemed to say. The thieves 
robbed God's devoted followers of their money, the Pharisees would rob Messiah of his rightful praise. Truly, they had made God's house a den of thieves. If Jesus were not Messiah, if he were not the son of David, this would have been the time to retract all his previous claims. Instead, he graciously answered the Pharisees, yes, I heard. I heard what they said. I heard their praise. Jesus always hears the praise of his worshipers. Though high, yet he accepts the praise his people offer here. The faintest, feeblest lay they raise will reach the Savior's ear. Yes, I heard what the children said. And then he, um, then he quotes Psalm 8, and he, um, he said, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. If we look at that psalm, um, Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2, we read, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. The, uh, um, the address there is to Lord, um, the, in the original Jehovah, we see uh, the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized. And so, um, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Lord Jesus, Jehovah Jesus, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory, Lord, above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infant, uh, nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Um, the Lord Jesus is, uh, is applying this to himself. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So uh, the Lord silenced the enemy, at least temporarily here. And he further confirmed to his adversaries his claim as Messiah. As misguided and formalistic and self-righteous as these Pharisees are, can a Pharisee be saved? After the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple the first time, a, um, a Pharisee came to him by night. Imagine, uh, he may have been in the temple there and observed that first cleansing of the temple and, and he came to Jesus by night asking some vital questions. Nicodemus may have been seeking the Lord's commendation, the Lord's approval, his uh, ratification of uh, Nicodemus's um, righteousness uh, to confirm that he was on the right path. <clears throat> Jesus instead told him, what? You must be born again. Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. You're a respected religious leader. Now you need to take all your self-righteousness and you need to trash it. You need to repent of, of that. You need to realize how unworthy you are 
to, uh, to come to heaven. Big step for a self-righteous uh, Pharisee. You need to receive life from heaven. You need to receive the life that, uh, that comes from believing in the Son of Man. You've never had this life before. And that's why I, call, I, I say to you, you need to be born again. We have um, uh, justification. We have uh, good evidence that Nicodemus did that uh, because of his devotion to the Lord at the cross. And uh, after uh, the cross burying the body of the Lord Jesus, we believe that Nicodemus, yes, came to the Lord Jesus. They can be saved. And then um, verse 17 he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. This was a quiet rejection of the Pharisees and the religious system in Jerusalem. He, um, he left them and he went out. It's a double departure. He had instructed his disciples when he sent them to preach, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. He himself would not associate with the hypocrisy and the dead ritual of the um, religious leaders in Jerusalem, and so he left. Those who reject the Savior must face his rejection in a coming day. Why go to Bethany? Because um, in Bethany were those who loved the Lord. We've looked at four groups of, um, of people in this passage. Let's quickly make application to these. Um, the, uh, the, greedy, um, the greedy vendors. Few of us would engage in such outright um, manipulation and um, um, taking advantage of God's seekers and followers. But would we buy from them? Would we buy from these unscrupulous vendors? What's on your bookshelf? Christian romance novels? Books to make you feel good without following the Lord? That shortcut to spirituality, I don't have to um, deny myself and take up my cross daily and follow him? What do you feed your soul in Christian music? Increasingly, on the Christian radio, I hear crooning to the Lord or about the Lord. It's a sappy, sentimental singing that sounds at times romantic, and it has no, no place in, uh, in Christian music. Um, it's uh, soulish. It's inappropriate. It's not edifying. It's not God-glorifying. What's the latest video that you watched? Did it remind you about the Lord Jesus, about his person, and about his work? One may argue, well, I can't be spiritual all the time. To which we might answer, what are you being when you're not being spiritual? 
The second group was those who came to the Lord for healing. I once was blind, but now I see. Let's um, take our place, those of us who've been healed of uh, spiritual blindness, let's take our place among the, uh, those who are praising the Lord in the temple. Jesus died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The third group was the children who shouted Messiah's praise in the temple. We can shout, we can sing, we can be uh, lively in our worship. Psalm 32, 11 reads, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. Sing Hosanna, loud Hosanna. And in witness, don't mumble. <laughs> we, we need not stumble through a testimony to, to our uh, brothers and sisters, and we shouldn't do that to unsaved people that we meet. And finally, the, uh, the fourth group, the Pharisees, um, as we describe Nicodemus, recognize self-righteousness for what it is. It's a denial. It's a rejection of God's righteousness. We need to trash that and, and accept God's provision for us through Jesus' blood. Believe in Jesus. Receive him as your Savior. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Let's pray. Lord, we so thank you for the uh, groups of people who were there in the temple that day and how um, uh, you've recorded for our sake the responses of these people. And we pray that we've drawn application from these that um, as believers we might uh, purify our own temple and, um, and, and, and follow you wholeheartedly. Uh, for those who do not know you, Lord, we pray that there'd be that one that one self-righteous Pharisee who would uh, come to you today um, casting down his or her uh, self-righteousness and, and believing in you. Instead, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.